0: Hey, one more thing before you go. In this episode, we have a favorite Friday throwback again. While I'm still recovering from my surgery, every Friday we're going to do a throwback Friday of some of my favorite episodes, just for a few weeks. So I appreciate everybody's patience. This one is a great one. Uh, we talk with Chrissy Summers, and she is part of Soul Sisters, who are a paranormal investigating team. And this is a fantastic. Episode in regard to how and what takes place during ghost hunting. So please enjoy. Welcome to One More Thing Before You Go. Have you ever wondered what it's like to talk to a ghost? Have you ever stayed somewhere and thought it was haunted? Can a ghost hurt me? Today we're going to answer these questions and more when we talk to a professional ghost hunter. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is the thing about ghost hunting. My guest today is Dr. Christy Sumner, a professional paranormal investigator that coupled her passion for travel, history, and the paranormal and formed Soul Sisters Paranormal. It's an all-female team made up of Sumner, her two sisters, and two friends. The team, Soul Sisters Paranormal, travel to some of the most historic and reportedly haunted locations in the U.S. in an attempt to determine for themselves if spirit activity does exist and to highlight the rich history of each location. Welcome to the show, Christy.
1: Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you having me tonight. I know you
0: hold a PhD in public affairs with an emphasis on criminal justice. We have a little bit in common, but there's more to you than that. Can you share with me some of your background?
1: Absolutely. And you're right. I I have that PhD in public affairs with an emphasis on criminal justice. And um, my master's is in criminal justice. And before 9-11, I was actually focused on criminal activity in the drug and, and uh, prostitution world. I did some some studies on those two aspects of, of criminal behavior. Um, but after 9-11, I shift fo- shift focus uh, to uh, aviation security, specifically biometrics for aviation access control. So my background is actually in um, terrorism, aviation security. And so I spent many years traveling the country in a work capacity, working at different airports and installing biometric identification systems, giving speeches on, on biometric technology and the differences between all of those technologies. And so um, the company that I worked for, unfortunately, went went uh, bankrupt. And uh, I became a college professor at that point, teaching aviation security and aviation marketing and management in Denver, Colorado. And uh, since then, we've w- my sisters and I, we've always had that interest in paranormal. So we took our backgrounds, our research backgrounds, and we formed Soul Sisters Paranormal in 2013. So we really are able to use that investigative background, that criminal justice background, and really enhance, I believe, enhance our investigation skills because of that.
0: I agree with that. Um, I think that uh, because of that, it gives you a better insight than just somebody picking up a camera and a recorder saying, let's go find something.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So what got you, what actually got you interested in the paranormal?
1: We've always had an interest in it. Uh, when my sisters and I were growing up, we would watch some of the popular media television shows that that highlighted uh, paranormal investigators. And we found ourselves wondering why they didn't spend more time in a certain location or why they didn't ask certain questions or use different trigger items or various techniques. So we always said to ourselves, if if we had the opportunity to to go to a paranormal investigation or to conduct one, we would jump at that opportunity. And that opportunity came in the the late uh, in two thousand and thirteen when a family friend asked if we would like to spend the night in the West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville, West Virginia. So we jumped at that opportunity, and it was a very rudimentary investigation. But what we found that night was so compelling that we really decided to delve into this further and become a professional paranormal investigation group.
0: That's outstanding. Mm -hmm. I know that you've investigated numerous locations across the United States, like uh, you had some of the ones you just mentioned, the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum mm-hmm. in West Virginia, the Lizzie Borden House, in Massachusetts, the Veliska Axe Murder House, the Saint Augustine Lighthouse, Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, and many others. What was your favorite?
1: I'd say for the paranormal aspect of it, my favorite would be the old Gilcrest County Jail in Trenton, Florida, which is about an hour's west of Gainesville, Florida. And that was an amazing jail. It's a small, it has a very small footprint. It's just a two-story jail. It has eight cells in it. Um, It was built in 1928 and ran until 1968. And it's been abandoned ever since. And I was actually fortunate enough to go on a collaboration investigation with Miranda Young from Ghostbiker Explorations. And she and I were the only two females on the property. And that number... Night, we came away with some compelling evidence. Um, shadow figures, what we call EVPs, which is electronic voice phenomena, all of our handheld equipment was activating that night by forces unseen to us and unexplainable to us. So I'd say, on that aspect of, of the paranormal, that would be my favorite. With regard to a historical location, um, they all have amazing historical backgrounds, but I'd kind of give the nod to Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia simply because that's a, re- a Revolutionary War fort. Um, it was active during the Civil War as well. And so it just has this very rich history that you walk into and it and it's 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 tangible history. You know, you can you can walk in and actually feel uh, kind of what it was like to be in a revolutionary war for it or, or during the revolutionary times. So for me I'd say the historical aspect that would that's the one I'd give the nod to.
0: Yeah that's really I mean that part of your job is like amazing. Mm-hmm. You get to touch history, see history, feel history. You know, that you can't get that in a book, you can't get that anywhere else, but actually being there. So that I think is, um, I think that's one aspect of your job that I would love.
1: Absolutely. And to be able to go, to, I'm sorry, to be able to go to those locations with my sisters and actually, again, explore that historical aspect, that very tactile historical aspect of these locations is the most compelling part of what we do. You know, even even if we came away with no unexplainable evidence or paranormal activity, we would still put forth a video highlighting the historical significance of each location because we feel that's what really drives us. And, you know, uh, we just we've been fortunate enough to crisscross the country and see these places that That a majority of Americans only hear about in on Google or in TV shows or read about in books. But we've had the opportunity, the very fortunate opportunity to to actually visit them.
0: Do you you pick where you want to go or is that somebody, does somebody contact you and say, hey, can you come to our location and um, kind of help us figure this out?
1: It it runs the gamut on both, actually. Um, We've had those locations that were always on what we call our bucket list. Um, You know, we wanted to go to the Lizzie Borden house, we wanted to see the Velisca Axe murder house. Again, just to. Uh, attempt to validate um, or debunk, in some cases, some of the popular media shows uh, that that uh, encompass paranormal activity. So we wanted to visit those locations for that reason. But we also have people that will call us in to do a private residential investigation or to investigate a business location that they feel has spirit activity. Um, we do have commercial locations that will call us in saying, hey, you know, can you come and give some legitimacy to our location uh, with your investigation? So we, we, it kind of runs the gamut on, on both ends of those spectrum, spectrums.
0: That's cool. Well, you know, To me, I think, I mean, there's a lot of places across the United States, historical-wise, I would love to visit in regard to, well, like the Revolutionary War stuff. That would be, to me, would be very, very intriguing. I've got family that goes all the way back to the Civil War. I'm sure like a lot of other, obviously, Americans um, out there. But to me, I think it would be kind of cool. And I, I have seen some shows that actually have shown some magnificent paranormal activity around I personally would want to visit some of the Civil War locations because I have seen some things on TV where they were there and they show some compelling evidence with regard to activity that's going on there. My relatives that that I can trace back that fought in the Civil War. My great great grandfather fought in the Civil War and on both sides. So um, we had people from the Union Army and from the from the Confederate Army that um, I think that would be interesting to you know, go back and check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go to one of these places, what kind of equipment do you use?
1: We actually have a variety of equipment. Um, the, the the one piece of equipment that I feel is the most valuable to us are, are, are our digital voice recorders, um, just Sony, essentially Sony dictation recorders. And for me, I like those because I feel that EVPs, or what we call electronic voice phenomena, are the most true form of paranormal activity. There's, those are things that for me, it's very hard to find another explanation for them. And so, and by that, I mean, when we go to a location, say the exchange hotel in Gordonsville, Virginia, there were five female investigators in this location. And we ended up capturing a male's voice that night that actually said a full phrase. He said, I don't know, I'll be back at four 30. And that was the full phrase that we caught. And it sounded like an elderly gentleman saying that. And for me, that's very hard to explain because there were no men on the property that night. Um, We also captured a child's voice saying, hi, this is my bed. Again, we have no children on our investigations. There are no children on the property. So that is something that is very hard for me to explain because we account for all environmental factors when we go into these locations. So for me, the, the voice recorder is the best piece of of, uh, of equipment that we take. Um, we also have night vision video cameras that we take and we deploy in different locations around the, the property that we are investigating. And we have handheld equipment designed to measure different things um, throughout the night. So for example, we have what we call K2 meters, and those are meters that measure electronic energy. And so for example, if I were to take this meter and stand out in a field and there's no electricity around, theoretically, the meter should not go off. If I were to take it and hold it next to a microwave, it should go off because it's measuring that energy level. And so when we take these pieces of equipment into a location that has no power, no electricity to it, And these things start to go off. That's very hard for me to explain. So we have that we have a piece of equipment called the spirit box, which is essentially an am FM radio that's been modified to sweep through frequencies. So essentially, when you turn it on, and you hit the sweep button, it just sounds like as it's going through all those AM and FM stations. And the idea is that spirits can use the white noise between the stations to speak. And we've been very successful finding pieces of evidence that we can't explain off of that. So we have various pieces of equipment like that that we take and we deploy. Um, We also take things uh, that we call trigger items. So, for example, if I were to go into a prison, I would take things like water, a cigarette, um, you know, things that those prisoners would, would have used or like, you know, most prisoners would smoke. So we take cigarettes in. Uh, if we went into, for example, the Ma Barker house in Ocklawaha, Florida, um, and that was the location of the shootout between Ma Barker and the FBI in 1935, we took bullets and, and those type of things for trigger items. And so that that's really what we we take into these locations. And uh, so far, like I said, we've been very successful in finding some compelling evidence at each of those locations.
0: So can you help me understand or help our listeners understand, like, uh, for example, you're the EVP on the recorder. Mm-hmm. Why does a recorder pick up something that we can't hear um, audibly just sitting here?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, in some cases we can, and that's a great question. In some cases we actually hear it in the moment. Um, so for example, I'll go back to the Gilcrest County Jail. Miranda and I were walking through that location and she and I were the only two people there on the property. And um, she had a, a camera and a voice recorder and she was panning the camera around And the voice recorder picked up a voice saying, hey, come back. And we both heard it at the time. So there are voices that we do listen to. Um, the, The voice recorders that we deploy are actually in locations that We're not physically in at the moment. Um, So, for example, um, that night at the Exchange Hotel, we left a voice recorder running on the bed in the room there. And then we went and we left it stationary. So that's what we do. We leave things stationary as we go to different areas of the building or of the property. So that just happened to be a time when the stationary voice recorder was running alone by itself in that room. And that's what it picked up. Um, I do believe that if we were there, we would have heard it in the moment because that's how loud they were. Um, and then, you know, there are other times where the voices are just so soft that we just don't hear them in the moment because, you know, you and I could be talking and it would be behind us and we were just not, you know, programmed to listen to that. Um, and so those are the reasons why the, the voice recorders in some instances pick it up when we don't audibly hear it.
0: How how do you tell the difference between something that's residual Mm -hmm. and something that's in the moment?
1: Uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, um. For us, we think the things that are residual um, are those things that would have been germane to the location at that time. So for example, I'll set it up a little bit for you. When we investigated the Ma Barker House in Oklahoma, Florida, and we're the first team and the only team to date to investigate that house, what we did when we investigated that house is we went and set up stationary voice recorders and, and and video cameras on the night before the anniversary of the shootout so the shootout happened on january 16th 1935 so last year on january 15th we set up equipment and we left it run in the house by itself we locked the house up and we left and this house sits on 40 acres by itself there's there's no light pollution there's no noise pollution it's isolated in a a forested area by itself and so when we went back and, and we left that run to encompass the hours of January 16th to when the shootout would have occurred 84 years prior. So when we went back and we listened to the voice recorders and we watched the video cameras, one of the things that we captured on one of the video cameras was what we call an EVP that of two voices. The first one said, Freddy. The next one said, Yeah, Ma. And the first one again said, Get Ready. To me, I think that is a residual. That is probably what they actually said before the shootout happened 84 years prior. So to me, a residual is just essentially, if you think of a record player, for those in your audience that are old enough to know what a record player is, if if you think of a record player that had, uh, and the record had a scratch on it. Every time when it, uh, on the revolutions, every time the the needle would hit that scratch, it would bleep, uh, or would you know it would jump. The song would jump. The same thing. That's what I equate a, a residual haunting to. It's basically just a blip in time. And every time it hits that 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 time frame, for whatever reason, it will that that noise will emanate. That EVP will emanate. An intelligent haunting is something that we actually get in response to a question or um, a movement or um, you know a. Trick. Item. So, for example, um, we were at uh, Fort Mifflin there in Philadelphia, and it was just myself and another investigator, Kara, and we were inside what's known as a casemate. And this is a subterranean underground room where they held munitions during the Revolutionary War. So, in that casemate, we had left some water and some cigarettes before we went into the location. So, we left them stationary again. And so, when Kara and I went down during the night of the investigation... I said, if there's anybody here with you, we left you some water, we left you some cigarettes. And she and I both heard, and our voice recorders picked up, a male's voice saying, thank you. That to me is intelligent because it's acknowledging the fact that we left those trigger items for him. Um, So that's the difference in my mind between what we call the residual and the intelligent hauntings.
0: Have you ever asked, is there a question that you've asked maybe continuously throughout your um paranormal investigation career Mm -hmm. that um you still want an answer to that you never get
1: um not so much a specific answer i mean we uh, the entire crux of our investigations every night is asking questions and not all of those are answered um when we go into the locations the very first thing that we say or the very first phrase that we say and we say it through all the investigations is we want to tell your story if you're here and you want to communicate with us we legitimately want to know what happened to you, what your story is, what you want told. And we feel that's important because the, the spirits and the, the entities that we're trying to communicate with In our minds, we're at one time humans and the entire human experience is based on recognition. We don't want to be alone. Nobody wants to go through life unrecognized. And I think that's the same thing with the spirit world. You know, they just want that recognition. So when we ask these questions, a lot of the times we do get a response. Um, For example, again, back to Fort Mifflin, um, one of the questions that we asked there was uh, in order to ascertain a time frame, we asked, who is your president? And the answer that we got was Lincoln. And that is very telling to us because the, the Fort Mifflin was used during the Civil War to house both Union and um, Confederate troops. So the answer Lincoln was very telling to us. Um, in another location, we asked, what year is it for you? And we got the answer 74. So that was either you know 1874 or he was in his 74th year. We, we really couldn't tell that one. But those are the type of answers that we get um, with some frequency during our investigations.
0: And those are really, those are unique questions. I don't think I've ever heard those asked on any of the other programs that I've actually watched.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: And that's what we try to do. Sorry, that's what we try to do. You know, before we go into each of these locations, we do a very detailed, deep dive into the historical research. Because we want to know what happened there, what events transpired throughout the history of the property as far back as we can find, that would lead to paranormal activity. And in a lot of cases, we also wanted to see if we can find individuals that we can associate with that location. So for example, back to Fort Mifflin, um, there was a gentleman by the name of William Howe, who during the Revolutionary War was, was found guilty of treason, and he was kept in that casemate that I was speaking about earlier. So when we went into that casemate, we specifically wanted to address him and see if we could get a response from him. Um, when we went to the Trans-Allegheny Loop asylum or to the Velisca Axe murder house. When we know that there's specific people with specific names, we try to communicate with them as best that we can as those individuals that they once were. Um, so we, we try to ask questions based on our research of the, of the area.
0: Well, in that kind of communication, when you talked earlier about the spirit box, tell me how that works.
1: Okay, so the Spirit Box, like I said, is, is just a small um, AM-FM radio. It fits in the, about the size of my hand. And so the it has an antenna. It just looks like a regular little radio. Um, it doesn't have a great distance. So when I take it to someplace like the Ma Barker house, which, again, is, is isolated in the middle of nowhere, when I turn it on and start sweeping through frequencies, um, so it'll go through, like, you know, 99.1, 99.2, 99.3, very, very quickly. It'll go sweep through those. So theoretically... I should not hear a phrase because that would mean that you've got these radio stations that are in conjunction um, that, you know, that make a phrase. And that's just not possible because it's going through so quickly. Um, So the idea is that that white noise, that static, if you will, spirits can use that box and the energy in the box to speak through that white noise. So again, so for example, when we took it to the Ma Barker house, the room that Ma and Freddie Barker were killed in is an upstairs bedroom. And so, and we call it the kill room. So we took it up to the kill room and we turned it on and we left it run for a couple minutes before we started speaking. So all we heard was as it's going through these, these frequencies. So then I started asking (laughs) questions. I said, what happened in this room? And Uh through this, through the spirit box came the, came the phrase, they murdered us we the ones dead again i shouldn't hear that because it's sweeping so fast through through these frequencies um, so that was very compelling to us. Um, another question that I asked was um, one of the gang members of the Barker Carpus gang, one of the gang's members was named Alvin Carpus. So I said, Alvin, are you here? And through the spirit box came the words Alvin Carpus. I never said the last name Carpus, but it came through the spirit box. Again, very compelling. Um, another question that I asked was, can you say the name Blackburn? And the reason I asked that was because when Mon Fred rented the house, in 1935 they rented it under the alias of TC Blackburn. So I said, "Can you say the name Blackburn?" and immediately the spirit box says, "Blackburn." Again, that is extremely compelling to me because even if I am picking up a radio station, there's no way that at that moment in time it's going to say Blackburn when I ask the spirit box to say Blackburn. Um that's highly coincidental and I don't think in that that uh, that is a coincidence. So for me that is building my case, that very compelling case for me, that there is something that I can't explain going on here. Something is coming through that spirit box. Um so uh, you know, for me, it's a very important tool and one that we use in conjunction with everything else that we do.
0: That's amazing, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, the feeling that you get, I'm sure, describe the feeling that you get when you get an answer like that when somebody something somebody answers you when you ask a question that's got to feel amazing.
1: It really is, um, especially because the spirit box is something that it, it, it is that instantaneous result. So uh, th- that night, it was just my sister and I in this house, I, and and when you walk into this house at night, it is probably the darkest dark that I've been in, in any of these locations because there is no street light. Um, And that night there was no moonlight Um, there. There are no light pollution sources anywhere around. So it's extremely dark. So when we, when you're sitting in this dark room and the only lights that you have are these little, you know, red light from the spirit box, a couple green lights from the K2s, we have our flashlights turn off and we're communicating with this thing, to us, it's a high five moment. I mean, I looked at Jenny and I'm like, "Uh, that thing just said Blackburn, so we're high fiving each other. Um, So it's extremely compelling in the moment evidence. Um, The other evidence that we capture, such as those EVPs, uh, those actually occur, a lot of those we find after the fact so we 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 leave the investigation we break down all of our equipment and then we go home and we sit and listen to every piece of audio that we've captured and we watch every piece of video footage that we captured so if we're in a location for 18 hours and i've got 10 voice recorders running for 18 hours i'm listening to all of that and i may only capture five or six evps but when i hear one or i you know I, i capture one it's it's something that i come off the couch and say, okay we got something. Um, so those are the feelings that it, to me is extremely, it's amazing because, you know, it, it's, um, it, it kind of, it validates what we're doing. It validates our research. It validates our investigation and it's what really pro- propels us forward to keep doing this.
0: Since you've been in the, this business for a little while, do you feel that these people have something that's undone or something that still needs to be done or they feel like they, that they, That they can't move on?
1: In some instances, yes. Uh, You know, I actually think that in my mind, there's three reasons why a spirit doesn't move on. Um, And again, when I say spirit, I'm, I'm referring to those entities that I believe were at some time human they had a human experience they had a human existence um, so the first reason is I do think that they have unfinished business for some reason they are they have not progressed to the next realm you know um, for me I am a Christian I, I do have strong religious beliefs so I will call it heaven um, they have not trans you know transformed up into heaven yet so they have some unfinished business and they they're here and when that is fulfilled they will move on so an example of that is, for uh about four and a half years ago i had a dream that my grandfather came to me and it was in, he died in 1986 so he came to me in this dream and Uh, it was to me it was almost a nightmare because he he just he had you know this look and he he did this moan and then he turned and walked out the 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 door and so i woke up in a cold sweat and then i had the dream again the next night and then the third night and so i finally i said to my mom i'm like i keep having this dream about granddaddy and i don't know what's going on so just off the cuff she said well just ask him what he wants so the fourth night the the dream happened a fourth night. And in the dream, I said, granddaddy, what do you want? And he looked at me. I can tell you what he was wearing, how he looked, how he smelled. That's how real this was. He looked at me and said, I'm waiting for your Nana. You're going to be getting a call soon. So I woke up, I went down, I was talking to my mom and I said, uh, you know, this is what granddaddy said. Uh, so two weeks later, my Nana was in an accident. She fell and broke her hip and she never really recovered from that. She We we took her into the surgery. Um, she ended up getting MRSA and she never recovered from that. And so she was in hospice for four weeks. And, and so after that time, um, on the day that she died, three hours later and with permission from my family my sister and I went to the house where they lived and I went to the spot in the dream. Cause I said, Jenny, he's, she's going to meet granddaddy in this house. So we went there, we took two K two meters, one was black and one was gray. And, and the power had been turned off to the house because she was four weeks into hospice. And so the power had been turned off. And I said, Nana, are you here? And both of our K2 meters went off. And I said, just to confirm, can you just go to the gray meter? And the gray meter went off. And I said, one more time, can you go to the black meter? And the black meter went off. And I said, are you with granddaddy? And our, so through those questions, I, we ascertained that Nana and granddaddy met up and that they were going to transcend together. So, and to verify that, we went back one week later with the exact same K two meters. We stood in the exact same spot and asked the exact same questions, and we got nothing. There was zero activity. So, in my mind, Granddaddy had fulfilled his unfulf- His unfulfilled. He had fulfilled his unfinished business, and they had moved on together. Um, so that is one example. Um, That's amazing. So yeah, I, I actually, and for me, it really brought me peace um, because my, my Nan and I were extremely close. So that really brought me peace that, you know, when we die, somebody that we love and know is going to meet us and help us move on to the next level. Um, so that's one reason, that unfinished business. Another reason is, I think for some reason they're stuck. They they know that they're dead, but they can't find that way. Either they weren't presented with the opportunity to, to meet somebody that they loved, um, that, that they're actually stuck for some reason. And an example of that is we were investigating Hales Bar Dam in Guild, Tennessee, and there are reports of, and underneath the dam, there's a series of tunnels that ran under the river, and at one point, there was a couple of kids that were killed because they were using that dam to get to school, and there was an accident, and a couple of children were killed in that accident. So while we were investigating there, one of the investigators, Michelle, said, um, why are you still here? Why haven't you moved on? And we captured a child's voice saying, I can't, I'm stuck. And it was, it was a very heartbreaking EVP for me, but I feel that that's one, that's his reason. He knows he's dead, but for some reason he can't find his way. He's stuck. Um, So that's the second, the second theory that I have. And the third one is, I think that they don't move on because they're scared of the repercussions or the punishment that they may get on the next level because of what they did on earth. And so for an example of that is we were at the West Virginia State Penitentiary. And there was a guy in that prison. His name was Red Snyder. um, Bad guy. He was in prison for multiple murders. He was the leader of the Aryan Brotherhood inside the jail. And, you know, anybody that he wanted killed while in prison they were killed, just a bad guy. So I think that after he died, his his spirit remained in that prison because he's comfortable there and he's afraid of what's going to happen next if he's going to get some type of punishment or retribution. So he's just chilling out at the West Virginia State Penitentiary. And so those are the three reasons why I think that spirits have not moved on
0: Well, speaking of the guy that's in the penitentiary, that brings to another that brings up another question I think that has always been on my mind. Um, when you went in there to talk to him, are you ever scared?
1: Not really. Um, For us, we have those moments where we're startled. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. When you're standing in a pitch black penitentiary and a door slams down a cell block, I mean, that really is an oh, oh shit moment. Um, So we've had those moments where we're startled, but then we turn around and we walk towards it because we want to know what's legitimately going on. So for us, we're not a team that screams and runs out when we hear something or feel something or see something. Um, We have been startled, but it's just for us, it's, it's so, compelling when we hear these things that it's the reason that we're there so you know I kind of have a problem with some teams that you know you watch their shows and they run out screaming out of these locations and to me that's disingenuous because you're going in to to look for this why are you running out um so and, and honestly, I'm, I'm more scared of humans than I am of anything that's dead. Uh, you know, we do protect ourselves before we go into these locations. We do say a prayer of protection for our, our spiritual well-being. But, um, you know, we also carry guns. We all have our concealed carry permits, So we will have pistols with us. And just that's just for the human element, um, because some of these locations are in a, you know, a, a different part of town, if you will. And so we, we always have that physical protection with us as well.
0: Have you ever gone into a place that dumb turned out to be like a false that maybe they were pulling your leg or they set it up to kind of trick you?
1: Uh, not that we've found, um, you know, you do have to go in with that element of faith that you know these locations that they're not trying to do that. And I, for us, I've never had that feeling that that people have been trying to pull the wool over our eyes, for lack of a better term. Um, and and th- that's more for the commercial side. And when when I say commercial, those are the places like Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary or the Villisca Axe Murder House. And we go to these locations to really enhance our skills and our portfolio. But we also have those places that are residential or businesses that are private. That people will call us in. Um, so, on, to answer your question, we've had instances where they'll call us in and they believe it's paranormal and we find that it's actually environmental so for example um we were actually called into a business at one point um they had just opened this business and uh, the gentleman had put up night vision security cameras throughout the business and he was convinced that um he had some type of demon in his location because the night vision video cameras every night would go off and they'd flash on and off and they'd go on and off and so he was convinced that something was manipulating his camera system because there was no evidence physical evidence of anything on the film so he called us in. We went in one night and we did an investigation and we weren't getting anything on on any of our handheld equipment. There was no activity that we could find. And so what we did is we set up our own stationary night vision video cameras and they were different angles from his and we left and left the building, left the business and we just let them run at night. So the next morning we went back in, we picked up our equipment and I asked him, I said, did your cameras go off? And he's like, oh yeah, they went off. It was such an active night. And so I said, give me the timestamps. So he gave me the timestamps and then I went back and looked at the timestamps of our cameras. And what I was finding was, um, the the angle of his business. He has a glass storefront and it was on an intersection. It was angled at an intersection of of the road. So when the cars were turning left onto the road, their headlights were coming through the glass and hitting a mirror that was directly above the night vision video camera. So essentially that light was bouncing into the night vision video camera and blinding it for lack of a better term. It was turning it back to to day vision and then back onto night vision. And he couldn't see that because of the angle of his cameras. So I told him every time you said your cameras went on, off there's a car headlight coming through your window and so i don't think you're haunted i think you need to move the mirror or move the camera and that's what he did and the the quote-unquote paranormal activity ceased at that point so it's not so much people have tried to pull the wool over eyes um it's it's that they just don't know or they they don't really take into account or delve deep enough into an investigation to look for environmental factors
0: that works yeah, you you know you can always think about some of these public places that are uh, tourist places that mm-hmm. you know, like the Lizzie Borden House and so forth. Obviously, I've watched your video that you um, when you guys were at the Lizzie Borden House, and I would highly recommend my listeners to go check it out. Well, but um, in that particular case, you know, you can actually see and hear this. But sometimes I've always thought, and my wife too, because we watch some of the paranormal shows that are on TV and. You think, you know, are they doing this just for publicity or are they doing this because there really is something there? You know, there's been a couple of programs that we've seen where it looked like they were just doing it for publicity to get people, more people to come down and say, hey, I'm going to go stay in a haunted place. I'm going to go, you know, be that way, Um, (laughs) which in staying, have you ever stayed overnight like in any of these, have you gone to a hotel or any of those kind of places where you stay physically stay overnight?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. We we stayed the night in the Lizzie Borden house. Um, we stayed the night in the Veliska Axe Murder House. Um, we have not put out the video yet, but there was a hotel in uh, in Silva, North Carolina, where we stayed. We actually stayed two nights there. Um, we had the entire hotel to ourselves, so we stayed two nights there. Um, basically, we're, we're there for a majority of the night. Um, a lot of the places we'll get in about six o'clock in the evening and stay till five or six in the morning. So we're physically there overnight. Um, but like uh, to your point, a lot of times we have slept. And, and uh, you know, that's an interesting state to be in when you're in a, a quote-unquote haunted location. Um, but kind of back to your other point, um, you know, it, and that that is a valid concern. You know, are there hidden microphones? Are there hidden lights? You know, um, in my mind, I just don't think that that is possible uh, for a lot of the locations. So, for example, Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, you know, when we go to these locations, we're the only ones there. Um, a lot of times they'll just give us the key and say, you know, when you leave, leave the key in the drop box. And otherwise the places when you go to Velisca Axe Murder House, they hand you the key and say, here, it's yours. Just drop it in the do- the night box when you leave. So there's nobody physically there monitoring us. Um they would have to know what questions we would ask in advance, um, you know, and and have that answer ready. Uh, And so I it's it's very hard for me to fathom that a location would go through that trouble. And then eventually you would have evidence recycle where another team would get the exact same evidence that I got. And that hasn't happened. So and and there are nights when we go to a location that we don't get anything, um, which which would be, you know, um, something that that would run, you know, contrary to, to that, you know, tourist aspect that you're speaking of. Um, So for us, you know, that, that's very, that's hard for me to, um, to think that somebody would go to that length. Is it possible? Absolutely. Anything's possible, but for us, I don't think it's probable.
0: That works for me. I mean, I, I just want to clarify with some of our listeners that don't, maybe are skeptical or, you know, might have an inclination to say, well, that's fake, or that was kind of set up or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. to give a better understanding of it. I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe in the paranormal. I've had experiences myself. So Mm -hmm. it gives me a a more uh, specific uh, experience that allows me to have a better understanding of what's next to us and what's around us.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know, for us, in my mind, you know, energy is—we're made up of energy, which can't be created or destroyed. So we have to go somewhere. Something has to happen to us when we die, um and or the alternative is that once we die, we just cease to be. And in my mind, if if somebody subscribes to that, I would be terrified of death, you know, because it, to just know that your essence just stops and it ends, and that's it. I don't know, I'd, I'd be very terrified of that. Um, and you know, and to follow up a little bit on what we were just saying, that we, we have face skeptics, we have face cynics. Um, and my response to that is, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I, I'm not trying to convince you um, that where I've gone is haunted. I'm not trying to convince you that there's existence of the afterlife. What I'm simply doing is I'm visiting these very cool historic locations. I'm giving you a narrative of those locations, the historical aspect of it, I'm telling you what happened that night. We were there, i.e., there was four investigators. We set up ten cameras and we set up ten voice recorders. We uh, we tried to um, uh, really maintain the environment. We looked for all environmental factors, and then once we once we account for those, the things that we captured i.e. evps or shadow figures, I can't explain that. And so that's that's the compelling case that I am building. And if you want to believe it, that's fantastic. If you want to not believe it, that's also fantastic. If you want to come to me and say, oh my gosh, I know how that could have happened, then great, come to me, let's have a dialogue. And if we can prove that that's what's going on, I will absolutely post a retract retractment on, you know, this is this is what we think could have occurred. But, you know, like I said, we take very copious notes of environmental factors and we really try to build that case because we've accounted for all of those environmental factors. And these are the things that we're left with. And so like for example at the Exchange Hotel, I can't tell you how that guy's voice got on our voice recorder. There's there is no way um, that a man's voice should have been captured on that voice recorder. There's no way a child's voice should have been captured on that voice recorder. And what we Also tried to do is I try to use all of the equipment that we take that night and again build that case. So if I just have a couple of EVPs, I'll say, okay, this is extremely compelling and something that we need to look at further. But if I have EVPs going off or and I'm, I'm capturing K2 meters going off and there's no power in the location, and I've got the REM pod going off, or I've got the spirit box going off, all of that again builds a strong case for me to put forward something that I call unexplained.
0: What's your favorite piece of equipment?
1: um again for me I, I do like the voice recorders second to that would be our spirit box um uh just because I, I think that that you know the the way that it sweeps through those frequencies um and you know the Mob barker house like i said was one of the most compelling places that we used it um it just gives answers that uh, you know in my mind again is unexplainable uh, we also used it at the uh, the henry river mill village in north carolina and um again this was miranda young and i uh, she and i were the only two females on the property that night. And we were doing what's called the Estes method experiment. And what that is, is you've got two investigators. Um, the, the first one has the spirit box and she plugs in noise canceling headphones and she puts on a, 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 a blindfold. So basically she's in sensory deprivation. So she turns on the spirit box and that's all she hears. She hears that static. And then what I did is I walked to the other end of the room where she can't hear me or see me. And I just ask questions into the air. And then if she hears anything from that spirit box, she yells it out. So she's got her back to me. She's got a blindfold on. She's got the earbuds in or the noise canceling headphones connected to the spirit box. So all she hears is the static. So I went to the other end of the room and I just happened to have a deck of cards in my pocket and, um, I pulled one out and I said, if you can see this, what is the card that I'm holding up? And I randomly picked the, the six of spades. And during that conversation, I said, can you tell me what the number is on this card? And Miranda said the number six. She she didn't have any idea that I was pulling the cards out of my pocket, let alone pulling out the six of spades. Um, So then when I asked, you know, what's your name? We got a series of names. You know, what date is it? She said a series of numbers. So there was a lot going on there. Again, that is very compelling that I can't explain. So to answer your question, the spirit box is is a very important tool for us, um, as well as the K2s and and the REM pod, just because, again, I can use those and build a very unexplainable case in a lot of the places that we've gone to.
0: That's amazing experiment experiment that you did there. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty cool, actually.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. We, I'm sorry. We used sorry. One more quick story. We used it also in Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. So Miranda was down in a in a cell, and um, again, she had the headphones on, the blindfold on, and her uh, logo for her team for her um, Ghostbiker Explorations is a motorcycle on the front of her T-shirt, and so we were down at the far end of the cell block asking questions. And, um, she said motorcycle, which again is kind of interesting because she has the motorcycle logo on her shirt. So it's just stuff like that. Again, that we're building that, that case for the things that I can't explain.
0: That's again, amazing. That's pretty, really cool. Mm -hmm. If, if you could, if you could build a piece of equipment that would help you to do your job better, what would it be?
1: Um, okay. So, so barring anything, you know, if we're talking into the realm of really out there and I had unlimited, uh, you know, money and finances, I think I would build a machine that would allow you to have voice recognition. So what I, what I mean by that is I've got a recording of my granddaddy. Um, from 1986. So if I were to capture a voice on uh, a voice recorder today, if I could take that and mirror those two and and say for certain, you know, this is granddaddy, Th- this is the voice that we're hearing, we're hearing this guy. Um, you know, I think that'd be phenomenal if I could, you know, if I had a voice recording of William Howe from the Revolutionary War Times, if I had a snippet of his voice, and I could take that and and mirror it to the voice we caught on our voice recorder, Um, and use that technology, that voice recognition technology, I think that would just be um, just an amazing experience, an amazing experiment to do.
0: That would transform so many people's lives Mm -hmm. and, and the industry. That's really a good idea.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that'd be a really cool idea.
0: Yeah, hopefully, hopefully you can make that culminate somewhere down the road. That's a really cool idea.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you, there, there is voice recognition software. Um, the, the problem is you, you've got to have the voice sample. Um, so, for example, somebody in the Revolutionary War or the Civil War, we don't have that sample of their voice. So I can't say for certain, you know, this is William Howe. Um, but if for some, some way we can, we can mirror those two voice patterns, I think that'd be a cool experiment to do. That'd
0: be pretty slick. hmm Have you ever been attacked?
1: No. <laughs> No, we haven't. Um, we've had instances where we've been touched. And, and when we go into these locations, the first things that we do is we kind of set the expectations with the location, if that makes sense. So what we do is we walk in and we say, you're not allowed to touch us. You're not allowed to hurt us. You're not allowed to come home with us. Um, because we don't go in to provoke. We don't say, you know, if you're here, I'm not going to believe you're here until you punch us. That's not what we do. We don't go in to provoke. We don't go in with anger. We don't go in with bravado. Um, we say we're here to legitimate to legitimately tell your story. Um, you And and sometimes we'll get permission. Like if you're here, pull my pant leg. If you're here, touch my shoulder. Um, and we have had responses like that. But um, physically, we, when we go in, you, we say, you cannot hurt us. You're not allowed to, to harm us in any way or come home with us in any way. And uh, so we really kind of set those expectations. Now, there have been times where people we've been with have been touched. You know, for example, other teams that we've collaborated with. And we have to reestablish those boundaries. Say, you know, you need to back off. You're not allowed to touch her. You're not allowed to touch him. Um, and so, for the most part, I believe because we go in with what I call the right intentions, i.e., we're legitimately trying to tell something story, um, we haven't felt that that negative energy towards us or demonic en- energy towards us. Um, we have gone into locations where there've been reports of negative energy or demonic energy, but we don't go looking for that. So. We will go into, like, for example, back to Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. There's an auditorium that's said to be inhabited by a very dark entity. And so for us, there's so many other places on Brushy that we can investigate that we just put a voice recorder in that room and said, if you want to communicate with us, it's on your terms. You can speak into this voice recorder. Otherwise, we're going to leave you alone. And that's how we really handle that that negative energy if we approach it.
0: Have you ever caught anything of negative energy responding back to you?
1: Um, we've had a couple of growls. Um, we have a couple of comebacks or get-outs. We've had a lot of get-outs. Um, again, back to uh, the old Gilcrest County Jail, um, Miranda and I were actually walking. Uh, it, we we're it, there's a The upstairs is accessed by a very narrow concrete stairway. So you hear us walking down the stairway and the voice recorder that we left upstairs in one of the cells capturing an EVP of a man's voice saying, kill them. And so that was kind of interesting, but because I never, I mean, I never heard it in the moment. I heard it after we were going through our, our footage review. Um, so it didn't, you know, when I heard it in the moment, I was like, ah, geez. But you know, um, when I heard it on the evidence review, but in the moment it didn't bother me because I never heard it. Um, so like I said, we've never felt threatened. I've never felt anything, um, negative or demonic to the point where I would have to leave.
0: Has anybody ever, um, had anything attached to you guys? In, in anything, I mean, I know, I know you just said you go into it with a different aspect of it, but mm-hmm. have you ever had a problem, you or your team have a problem with something attaching itself to you guys and coming home with you?
1: No, we really haven't. Um, and I think I attribute that to the fact of, you know, like I said before, we're an all-female team. I think we do go in with that sense of empathy. Um, but also, we are all very strong women. Um, and, you know, for us, it's it's one of those things where we just assert ourselves in that moment and say, you know, you're again, you're not allowed to touch us. You're not allowed to come home with us. You will stay here in these walls and, and not leave the premises with us. And to us, you know, we've been to 18, you know, large haunted locations around the the country. And, um, we've been very fortunate that nothing has attached to us or come home with us.
0: Have you heard of any in your circle? Have you heard of anybody else having something come home with them?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, that, you know, that happens every now and then, um, you know, back to Miranda Young from Ghostbiker Explorations. And I mentioned her a lot because she is a very close colleague and we've done several collaborations with her. Um, so I have some insight into, into her and, and what she does. Um, but, uh, she, she was actually investigating a private investigation. She got called into a home, um, that was said to have a demonic, uh, a demonic entity in it. And, uh, she actually spent a year working on this case and she went into this home at one point, um, um, she actually audibly heard a voice, a male's voice saying, Miranda, you're going to die. Um, so she caught that on audio. She heard it in the moment. Um, she was standing in the house and the floor started to shake. And uh, so she also um, had a report of something that did follow her home. And so at that point, she called in a, a friend who's a demonologist and they actually did a um, an exorcism of the house. And so that, that it almost, I think it lasted for over eight hours in an attempt to get this demonic entity to leave. Eventually they did. And so now the homeowners have reported that there's no more activity in the house. Um, but, uh, that was a very interesting case for her. It's a very interesting case for me to watch, um, and watch what she'd gone through. Um, she actually, at one point, at one night during that investigation, she actually did a live from the house, just kind of showing where she was going to set up equipment. And it was only supposed to be for about 15 minutes, but it was such an intense night that the live lasted for over an hour and a half and there were people commenting saying there's something behind you you know I feel this presence in here um, so I, I encourage your listeners to to watch um, Ghost Biker Explorations as well to kind of get a feel if you want to know what it feels like to be in a house that has negative or demonic entity I encourage you to watch that episode of hers because it is extremely compelling and then again um, the final episode of her season two was that exorcism. Of the house, and it, it's a very compelling piece of uh, footage for sure.
0: That's very interesting. Um, where can they find that?
1: Uh, she's under Ghostbiker Explorations, um, so www.ghostbikerexplorations. Um, she's on Facebook under Ghostbiker Explorations, and she's very neat. Um, she's a she's a solo female paranormal investigator, and she rides her Harley Davidson to the places that she investigates. And uh, so, you know, we collaborate with her because she has uh, essentially the same drive that we do um, to where the history the history of the location is what drives our investigations. So she, she's very historic focused. Um, She really does smaller locations, like smaller legends and lore. Um, She does a lot of work in Tennessee, which is very cool. And uh, so she, she just has an amazing background and somebody that I'm I'm very proud to call a colleague and a friend just because, you know, the, the, the way she handles her investigations and we met through the paranormal. So it's a very cool uh, collaboration experience.
0: That's outstanding. I really Mm -hmm. appreciate that. Sure. Um, When you do your historical research, how do you delve into it? Do you look for something that might be there or do you look for incidences that have taken place that you may, when you go into a place, you seek out those? Or do you just do an overall historical research aspect and then when you go in, whatever shows up, shows up?
1: Well, the very first thing that we do for our historical research is, you know, I actually still visit libraries. You know, I'm old school. I, I, I have physically gone into libraries in multiple states over the past couple of years, which, cool. you know, may, may be an anomaly for some people right now. But, uh, you know, I love libraries just delving into, um, I, they still have microfiche. So for some in your audience who know what that is, I love using that stuff because you can really get into some things, into the nitty gritty. So uh, we start with that. We start with libraries. We start with state archives, um, the, uh, the Library of Congress. I'm, I'm very fluent in their website. Uh, so delving into the Library of Congress, delving into the Smithsonian, the National Archives, you know, all of these websites are favorites on my my laptop just because I go to them so frequently. So delving into the the overall broad historical aspect of the locations where we start. And then we just start delving into the nitty gritty of that. Um, in some cases, we don't want to know what the paranormal reports are because we want to go in just essentially blind and see if we can find our own. Um, in other cases, we do. Um, Um, and and the the guides that we get uh, before we go in will tell us some of those things. Um, So we we really like to do the historical aspect first because we want to allow that to drive our investigation. So for example, back to Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary, you know, that that location is amazing because it was a prison that was built specifically to house prisoners to work the mines. Um, it was the first, uh, uh, after the Civil War, Tennessee, um, they they had no money. They needed to b- rebuild their infrastructure. So um, they didn't have money to house prisoners. So what they did is they leased those prisoners to coal mines. And so the coal mine, they would use those. So the, the coal miners, um, or the, the coal mine companies would pay for the upkeep of the prisoners, and they would get cheap labor because they didn't have to pay the prisoners. Um, so that's how brushy Mountain started um, is because uh, you know the the that lease agreement ended. But but Brushy Mountain was built to house these prisoners that would work the coal mines for the state. So when you when you find out these historical nuggets like that, you can use that to drive your research or your investigation. So when we went in, we would ask, "Did you work in the coal mines? What was your job? You know, did you die in the coal mines? Because there's coal mining accidents. Um, you know, so it, it's a very um, it's a very eye opening experience to get the historical aspect first and allow that to lead your investigations. Um so you know for for us that's, that's really where we start and then once we get in uh, you know we we kind of let us that lead us and then you know sometimes it's off the cuff as well.
0: Very cool. That's very mm-hmm. cool actually.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um what advice would you give to somebody that uh wants to be a paranormal investigator?
1: <laughs> I say the first thing is to Go in with what I call the right intentions. You know, this isn't something that you can just jump into to get a scare on a Saturday night. Um, you know, the, to me, that's not the goal of this. Um, I would say you the, the intentions that I'm talking about is you really do need to have a love of history and that preservation of history, because that is the overall goal in my mind. Um, the, and the second aspect, ha- have respect for The entities that you're trying to contact. You know, don't go in with bravado. Don't go in with chest thumping. You know, go in with a legitimate need or want to find those answers. Um, And then the next thing is have patience. You know, when when you go to a location, take a voice recorder, um, just sit down and ask questions and have patience with it. You know, you're not... nine times out of ten, you're not going to get a response the first 15 seconds you're sitting on a concrete floor in a prison. You know, it's you're going to have to sit there for a couple hours before you start hearing things. Um and you may not, you might not hear anything. So you have to have patience to go back and listen to the audio that you just captured to see if you can find any compelling evidence. So patience is a big one. And then really just have fun with it. You know, there's 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 no Real rules, other than the fact of being safe, um, let somebody know. Don't go do this alone, or you know you need to let somebody know where you're at. Don't trespass. That's a big one. Um, really have respect for the location, but but go in with that right intentions and just really have fun with it. And I think that that's the most um, best piece of advice I can give.
0: That's outstanding advice, actually. <laughs> well, How can you. somebody learn more about you and your services, and see and hear? what you do?
1: Well, our website is www.soulsistersparanormal.com. And that has all of our background information, all the locations that we've gone to, um, the locations that we're going to and any um, events or paracons or symposiums that we'll be speaking at. So all of that is on that website. You can also find us on YouTube under Soul Sisters Paranormal. All of our investigation videos will be there. And then we're also very active on Facebook under Soul Sisters Paranormal. And we're semi sort of active on Instagram under Soul Sisters Paranormal, but I'm still trying to figure out that platform. So I'm not not very active on on, on Instagram yet, but basically just Google uh, Soul Sisters Paranormal and our website and all that comes up. So um, that's pretty much where you can find us all.
0: And I'll have links to all of those things on our website as well before you go podcast.com. And that way they can um, at least check you out, watch your videos. Listen to your podcast. You have a podcast, right?
1: Uh no. I, I don't have a podcast that I'm currently doing now. Um I've been a guest on numerous podcasts. Um, but podcasts are something that we will be starting in the near future. So be on the lookout for that.
0: Outstanding. Thank you very much for sharing your journey with us. I um I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I learned some things and um I was kind of excited to go check out some more of your videos.
1: Oh, thank you, Michael. I really appreciate it.
0: Hi, and thank you for listening, especially to this favorite Friday throwback. Again, this is a reminder that over the next few weeks, we will be releasing on Wednesday and Friday. Most unlikely, the Fridays will be a Friday throwback favorite, while I am still recovering from a major surgery. So please bear with me, and uh, we'll be back on normal schedule pretty soon. Also, a reminder that our logo will be changing. It will be the same show, One More Thing Before You Go it will be the same host, Michael Hurst. It will be fantastic guests like we've had in the past, same theme, same genres, same everything, but a new look. We hope you love the new look and the new sound and look forward to bringing you more of One More Thing Before You Go. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. That's BeforeYouGoPodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite
1: podcast listening platform.
0: And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day. Have a nice week. And thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.